Come stay and play at Live Casino and Hotel. Welcome to one of the biggest casinos in the country with luxurious clean rooms, upscale dining, and the grandest payouts. Now offering stay and play and all in packages, including $50 free slot play, VIP parking, VIP casino access, and more. Book now at livecasino.com or call 443-445-2929. At Arundel Mills, must be 21, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Aaron's Show, the podcast for blind persons where we talk about issues in the blindness community. Tonight, tonight we have a very special guest with us, someone who I believe I met um, as a young person uh, when I was maybe, maybe 12 years old, I think I met this person. So, ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very, very warm welcome to uh, Jason Polanski. Jason, welcome to Aaron's show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So, Jason, um, why don't you start out by basically telling our our viewers or telling our listeners, um, you know, how we met um, at first, because I I remember now where and how we met, and that is something that I think the viewers and the listeners. Uh, will find a very, very, very interesting. So why don't you start there? Yeah, so honestly, I'm not quite sure how, I don't remember exactly how we met. I know, uh, I don't know if we met first uh, through the National Federation of the Blind of Maryland, or uh, I know both of us also went to uh, NASA Space Camp in Huntsville, Alabama. So I don't right. know uh, that's, that's where we met that first one, or if we met before then. That, well, the the issue of which came first. In this case, I'm not I'm not concerned with that. I wanted you to talk about the space camp. Okay. Um, yes. Because yeah, so, um, I, I think I think that is a I think that is actually something <clears throat> um, that I uh, kind of forget about, and um, I, I do not always tell people that I did that. Um, for a lot of reasons. I actually, as my listeners know, and as I will tell you, Jason, nowadays, um, well, nowadays I'm, I'm a teacher and I, 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 you know, work for myself as a teacher. Um, uh, and, and we keep on, on my podcast. I have a special announcement for you and for listeners that on this podcast, we need to keep our, uh, locations, uh, classified. So I am, I am sending from an undisclosed location. And so are you, okay? And there's a lot of reasons we do that. Um, but yes, we we met while attending space camp, NASA's uh, space camp for, uh, for the blind. So why don't you talk for a while, talk for a bit about um, that experience? And and as yeah. you go through, I will help you. So go. Yeah. So I guess I was I went twice. Um, once when I was like nine, and once when I was like twelve. Um, and basically, it's a whole week in the end of toward the end of September. So I think I saw on Facebook actually that uh, this year's just ended uh, not too long ago, like last week. And uh, they send they take blind students from all over the country and even all over the world uh, to NASA Space Camp. 
uh, and in Alabama, and they uh, get to there's different levels. So I did the elementary school level and the middle school, and uh, you get to build rockets and get to launch them and learn about what it's like to be an astronaut. Uh, you get to do a couple of missions, like mock missions. Uh, and it's just a really, really cool, really neat experience. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it was quite a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember everything that we did. Uh, yeah, we did I'm trying to remember, into, you know, and I'm trying, indeed, indeed, and I'm trying to remember it too. Looking back on it now that, it, you know, so you're, um, so I'm 28 years old. I think you're three years younger than me, right? I'm 23, so I'm five years younger. (laughs) Okay, so you're significantly younger than me. I didn't realize that the gap was five years. I thought it was a three-year gap. Okay, you're 23 and I'm 28. Okay, so yeah, so the gap is quite, is, uh, well, it's obviously no no big deal, but that's actually quite significant. Um, I, I remember certain things. I remember going several times, and I remember going through, you know, the different, like, levels, as you said, the different levels of camp. Um, I don't remember going as an elementary schooler, though. I only re- remember that the idea came to me. Um, and how how did I get interested in doing it in the first place? Well, I, you know, listeners, I, I don't know. Um, I suppose when I was 12, I probably had more of an interest in being an astronaut of of course, I, I would be happy to be an astronaut today, although I'm, not, I'm never going to get that chance in my life. That's okay, but I, I would gladly go up. Uh, but what about you, Jason? Do you, um, do you want to be an astronaut? Um, I think <laughs> I might have thought about it at the time. Uh, of course, I mean, it requires, of course, back then I didn't really know what all it would require, you know. It requires basically a science degree almost, I think, these days. Um and if if not if you don't have a science degree, you probably need a boatload of money. I would think maybe, maybe. someday it'll come to reality. I mean, you never know. Yeah, that's the scary thing. <laughs> we never know what will become reality because we have a hard enough time telling what's real right now, what's real today. Yeah, God only knows. You know, um, you know. I I mean, I was earlier today. I was watching an interesting show. Um, on Netflix um, about the universe and about, you know, what will eventually happen, you know, to to our, our sun. And, of course, our sun is a star. So eventually that sun will eventually fizzle out, they think, but they aren't really sure. So I, I hope that, um, you know, I hope that when, when that happens, I hope that humans are are somewhere else in the universe living on other planets. But I, I recall a, a very entertaining thing happened. And, you know, this brings up a really interesting philosophical question. I remember that when NASA landed their probe on, on Mars um, relatively recently, maybe a year ago, and they were talking about it a lot and they were showing pictures of it a lot. I remember um, that I, I told my parents, oh, this is this is so fantastic. I'm so proud of NASA for getting onto Mars. And they said, especially my mother. She said, oh, wow, I, I think this is such a waste of money. You know, with $6 billion, we could solve a lot of problems on, on our planet rather than going to other planets to take pictures, you know. So I think it's an interesting philosophical question. Why are we, 
not able to solve the problems on our own planet, but we're so willing and so um, motivated to go to other planets. You know, I don't know. What, do you have a Do you have an opinion about that? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. Um, you know, from a financial and economic standpoint, it definitely brings up a lot of you know a, a lot of uh, controversy. I guess you could say. So why do you think? Opinions. I mean, if you were if you were to give out your opinion, why do you think our government spends six billion on? I'm just throwing that number out there. X billion on space travel. But we don't really invest billions in solving the problems of our own planet. What, what, why do you think that's the case? I don't know. I think space travel. I mean, it's it, uh, we always want to have the best scientific discoveries, you know. So it, uh, and I think just the a lot, the unknown, all the all the uh, you know the things information to uh to discover probably probably the big thing right exactly exactly yeah so um then talk about some other um do you remember meeting anyone at space camp who was you know uh particularly interesting do you remember meeting any of any of the international students a little bit, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I remember there were some from Ireland. There were a lot yeah, from there Canada, were. I remember. A lot from Canada, yeah. Yeah. I guess one thing that I learned at space camp was that, um, so I uh, grew up in kind of ever since a little kid, I've been involved in the National Federation of the Blind, and I was, you know, always used uh, kind of transitioning into blindness, uh I've always, you know, used an NFB cane. I um, always kind of had the philosophy of, like, being independent and only going, like, not going sighted guide extremely often, per se. I mean, not saying that I never would, but I always kind of, I went to NFB summer camps and what have you. And I remember when I went to space camp when I was 12, I met, I remember there were, like all these blind kids from my state, um, and I didn't know them through my state's NFB uh, chapter. And I was, I remember thinking, okay, why is this? You know, uh, I don't know. It was, and I realized that there's a lot of different kind of philosophies out there as far as, you know, cane travel and, you know, independence and what have you. Some people have had different levels of opportunities and, yeah, uh, I think when I was 12, I was a little bit, uh, I was, I kind of had a tendency, like most 12-year-olds, like, you know, I thought I knew everything, uh, kind of like, kind of like got ahead of myself sometimes, so like, I just, I was like, why are these people not in the NFB? Like, I was completely blown away, if you will, by the fact that these kids were like from my home state and they were blind or uh, at least legally blind and they weren't part of the NFB. Like I, I just, I was completely blown away by that because I, I guess back then I kind of thought that all blind people were in the NFB. Uh, yeah, that's, 
that was one thing that I remember. And I also remember uh, going a lot of times. Uh, this isn't really something that I'm a big fan of, but um, a lot of times people who had lower amounts of vision, like I, I personally, I don't have any vision at all, uh, would walk side a guide with people who were still blind in the grand scheme of things, but maybe had a little bit of vision. And I don't think that's uh, the bet. I don't think that's all that great personally. Uh, you know, it's somebody who, even though they may have a lot of vision, if they're legally, even though they may have some vision, if they're blind, I personally, I mean, I think that they should, I would encourage them to use a cane, um, mm -hmm. you know, and to learn some, learn alternative techniques. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, like some of them didn't even use canes and they, some of the uh, counselors with the space camp and the teachers from like the school for the blind, uh, you know, kind of, they, they were completely okay with students who had, who were still legally blind, still had less than 10% of vision, uh, you know, for giving sighted guide to, to me and to other students who, uh, were completely were completely blind or maybe just who didn't have any vision who had light perception and I just think that there should I I don't think that there is enough of a focus on independence and you know mm -hmm. I mean honestly mm -hmm. good good you, you're, you're digging you're 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 moving in the right direction this is what I wanted to talk about so yeah keep, 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 tell, 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 tell them exactly yes good and you want me to keep going Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think there, there just wasn't as much of a focus on independence as I think that there uh, could have been. Right. And, uh, you know, I think when a bunch of blind people travel together, we really don't need to be holding on to each other necessarily. I mean, if, if it's a really crowded place, um, you know, then, like, for example, uh, I went to... I've, I did an adult uh, adjustment to blindness uh, training program in Louisiana at the mm -hmm. Louisiana Center for the Blind uh, when I was 18. And there was one time uh, when we did, uh, we'd kind of hold on to each other's shoulders to stay together uh, when we went to Mardi Gras in New Orleans because it's really crowded and you're on you know, a street with a bunch of people and you almost have to, it's hard to really hear each other sometimes, so you almost have to do that. But the big difference between that and sometimes what happened at space camp uh, was at space camp, sometimes they would have, you would all hold on to each other, uh, if you will, or a someone who has more, more vision would guide someone who has less vision. Uh, but that didn't happen, like, at, you know, in Louisiana. It was just you're holding on to each other to stay together and, you know, how much vision you have doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And you're, and everybody were, everybody's wearing sleeve shades still. So everybody's, um, at least during a lot of the, during a lot of the time, um, everybody's wearing sleeve shades. So everybody's learning how, regardless of how much vision they have, they're, you're learning how to do it 
Um, you learn how to use those alternative techniques uh, that Space Camp, you wouldn't really, uh, those who had some vision wouldn't really be learning. And so, another thing that they like to do is they almost like to have what's called a hierarchy of sight. Uh, so basically the person who has the most vision would be more toward the front of the line, and then they'd kind of go from front to back more or less in order of how much vision you had. So I would probably be at the very back uh, in that kind of scenario, and that's not something that I'm a fan of. Hmm. Good. Really, really good points there. Yeah. I, now that you're bringing up the sighted guide thing, I am remembering that. I don't remember quite what you mean about the – I don't specifically remember that whole hierarchy of vision, but you are probably right. You are right. Um, I don't specifically – It may not have happened at Space Camp, but it does happen in a lot of other contexts. I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't – I think it's important to bring it up, though. No, it, no, it's critical to bring it up. And I, I've noticed – um. Yeah, I don't know if that happened at Space Camp, but I've noticed that with a lot of organizations that – with a lot of organizations um, that, you know, do work for blind people, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, how much can you see? And there's a lot of different categories and hierarchies. I've I've noticed this. Um, and since – since I tell people that I'm blind, even though that I can see, um, which to a blind or blind listeners will understand this. But since I tell everybody that I'm blind, I don't care. I, I Yes, I agree with you, Jason. It's not appropriate. But I, I also don't care that there's all these other strange levels and hierarchies. Either you're blind or you're not. You know, I'm not sure why we need that type of thing. I'm not I'm not really convinced upon the the validity of that system. I don't know what its purpose is. Do you know what the purpose of that type of thing is? Not particularly. I mean, different. I guess people with different amounts of vision might do some things differently. Um, I mean, I personally, I think anybody who, honestly, I think the most successful people, the most successful blind people, even if they have a small amount of vision, they usually learn Braille. They usually use a cane. Uh, you know, they usually use alternative techniques that, um, you know, in their daily lives. And a lot of times I've found that sometimes, you know, certain kind of low vision techniques like Zoom text and which is a screen magnification program and using your vision might work. Uh, for some things, and it might work for a period of time, but a lot of different eye conditions, I'm not an expert on them per se, but they kind of gradually get worse over time. So using your vision might work, but then when you start losing it and it gets, keeps getting worse, it, it doesn't work. Or, it might, um, you know, when it comes to reading, you know, you might, some people, they might be able to read print, for maybe, you know, if if it's the only thing that's available to them, or they might be able to even read it well, but then at a certain point, 
if they say they have to read for something for a couple of hours, you know, it's a college te- a college textbook or something for work. Eventually, right. maybe after some people maybe say after 20 minutes might start straining their eyes. So that's not helpful. You know, you, you don't want to be reading if your eyes are hurting. Uh, I mean, I don't have any of that experience personally, but this is just, you know, what I've heard from people uh, who have. And so, whereas if you, if you learn Braille and you become really good at it, that that's not an issue, you know. Right, definitely. Yeah, you know, you're bringing you're bringing up um, you're bringing up a lot of a lot of really good points. And what you said about the NFB thing is true. Um, and I noticed as a child going through space camp that the NFB, um, in in my opinion, and at the time. The National Federation of the Blind does, did not support space camp for the reason, I think, that students are allowed to attend space camp without being independent and that the space camp facilitates, uh, you know, those types of things, the sighted guide, the not being independent, that, that type of thing. So I'm, I'm suspicious of that. But what, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I could definitely understand that. I mean, but at the same time, I think there was a lot of independence in other ways. You know, you are kind of, uh, you know, you're living in like the space habitat and you're with other guys your age and you don't necessarily have somebody supervising you all the time. And like, say, in the evening, for example, um, yeah. you know, you're using the public restroom on your own and, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, they have always have people around, you know, chaperones and stuff, but you're kind of, uh, you know, in that sense, uh, I mean, and some people who need, you know, more help with that, I think, you know, they can provide more assistance. And there wasn't independence as far as that, in that regard, I think. Uh, but definitely when it comes to travel and there really wasn't, uh, you know, when we were going from place to place, there really wasn't uh, the independence that as much encouragement of it as I think there should have been. But then again, it only lasts for a week. So, you know, whereas sure a lot of the NFB programs, like the buddy programs for middle schoolers, they're like three or four weeks. The high school programs are usually six to eight weeks. Which So, there's a lot more time to hone in on those kinds of things, whereas a space camp, they can only have blind students there for a week out of a whole year. So how do you really, you know, with all the space stuff, uh, how do you really teach, you know, if somebody needs instruction, how do you really make time for that uh, with the busy schedule that you already have? So I could understand why, and with the, the vast number of students that they have, I could understand why it would be tough to uh, to really implement those kinds of things. Uh, and then, you know, say that somebody's being independent for a week, somebody's maybe, they're traveling a little bit more on their own, you know, they're still with people, but they're not going inside a guide as much, and maybe they're carrying their own tray in the 
dining hall. I mean, those kinds of things I think you could definitely teach within a week. But then because they would only happen for a week when they get back home, how likely is it that they're going to continue those things? Because a week isn't really enough sometimes for those kinds of things to stick, especially if somebody's been doing it for you, uh, you know, for a long period of time, for all your life. Right, right. And, and I'm not saying that all of the blind people at Space Camp by any means were completely cared for their entire lives. I think actually the vast majority are the opposite. The vast majority are high, very, very, very high-functioning, mo- overly motivated, independent people to begin with. Right. I think I think what it is that I think that since you are allowed to go to the camp without being independent, I think that sends kind of sends the wrong message. But the wrong message, you, yeah. I, I very well could. Now I I haven't you know talked to these people in years. Uh, Literally, no, I haven't either. Um, see, when was the last year I went to it? I. I think I went Yeah, I went one one more time in high school, which I was fifteen. Twenty five. Literally thirteen years have gone by since I have been down there. Um wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thirteen years ago is the last For time me, I was it would have been about I was 12, so it would have been 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's a so long time. I mean, what it's like now. I don't, it's probably very different now. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, things are probably still the same, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it, it, interesting. Okay. So, uh, basically, um, after space camp and after you, went to high school, then why don't we move towards talking about your experience in university? Now, my experience in university was a bit of a mixed bag with a lot of things. Um, There were some highs and definitely some lows. So what I what I want to know is tell, tell the listeners if you would like about your experience with the whole university business um, and and start there. Yeah, so um, I attended. So I'm not. Should I not say the name of the college that I attended? Uh, for location. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to. Nest, uh, actually, it's up to you. Okay. So I'll I'll say it. Um, I attended uh, Messiah College. Uh, it's a small uh Christian school. It's uh founded by the Brethren in Christ. Uh church primarily uh, in Pennsylvania, has about 3,000 students, uh, and I start my major, at first I, I came in as undecided, but I ended up uh, going choosing marketing, uh, which was, uh, felt, falls under the business department, and uh, so I, obviously, I had graduated from, I had gone through the training center program before attending college, so I was really good with the travel stuff and living on my own and pretty good with uh, the computer. But uh, what I came to find out was that there really aren't a lot of blind people out there uh, who study what I study. Um, hmm. And 
and the bit the business uh business isn't really a common major right now uh for blind people is what I have found. Uh really? it is becoming more and more, I think. Um but it seems like a lot of blind people, at least people who I knew, you know, different students Seems like law is very popular in political science. Um, it also seems like education and those kinds of things are very popular. But uh, business and economics uh, doesn't seem like it's quite as it, it is. I think it is up and coming. Um, I know a couple other uh, students. I know one student who I think did computer science and statistics and business. Um, I know a couple others, but generally speaking, it's not a huge, uh, doesn't seem to be a huge discipline for uh, blind college students to get into. Uh, so I some of the challenges that I encountered was uh, figuring out, okay, how do I, how does a blind person learn uh take accounting, for example, or uh, financial management. Because uh, a lot of the there, – there NFB has really good resources for math, and but there's, you know, science and engineering division, which includes math, and there's like a math mailing list. Uh, but that seems like it's more focused, generally speaking, uh, on, you know, engineering-type math, which I – didn't really need to know. I mean, I, I took a, my first math class that I took was called Math 107. It was a applied math for management. So it was a little bit like a pre-calc for business. So there was a little bit of calculus, a few derivatives, but uh, it was very different than, say, what an engineer would take. Uh, and so I was able to get that book in Braille uh, through a, a Braille list. Um, but they only, she brailled the parts that I needed, so we corresponded with the teacher, and so the teacher only used, you know, certain parts of it and certain, certain problems, so instead of brailing the whole book, they would just braille, you know, what I needed, which saved a lot of paper. Um, by the way, um, in general, would you like to say anything in regards to you know, talk about some of the professors at this at this school. Um, yeah. Were they, um, because, yeah, you know, because a lot, a lot, a lot of blind people lately, myself included, but I've been on a lot of these groups, um, you know, on Facebook and now WhatsApp and various, you know, social media platforms. And there's been a lot of complaints. Um, about professors, and they're oftentimes, at best, um, incredibly poor social skills, um, and at and at worst, their unwillingness to accommodate blind students. Um, in my opinion, I think that's a very serious problem and a, and a big, big problem. But um, tell us if you would like about your experience at uh, Messiah College in yeah in dealing with the professors. Yeah, definitely. Um, honestly, I had pretty good experiences. Um, so I took economics, and one of my favorite professors that I had uh, for 
was for macroeconomics. He um, he was really good with. We use a lot of wiki sticks, uh, you know, to d- demonstrate you know your mm-hmm. supply curves and demand curves and elasticity and all those concepts. Uh, you know, rather low tech, but it worked well. Um, I've and he was great, uh, and he was a hard professor too. And I I did I think I, I finished with an A. Um, I've also as far as my faculty advisor uh, was um, I'm, I'm also my marketing professor. He was really gr- great. Uh, I actually, during my senior year, uh, so actually I, mo- I just recently graduated from college in May, so he and I actually wrote an article about uh, marketing to blind consumers. And, hmm. yeah, so that was kind of like my final project for – my marketing management and strategy class, a lot of the other students ever had to create a website, uh, which is a little bit harder just in general and more visual. So uh, he and I uh, co-authored this article together, and it got published in uh, Compro Bees, which isn't a major – it's not an extremely major publication, but it's read by a lot of public relations for, uh, professionals and what have you. Uh, so that was really good. Uh, I also took, I also took a, uh, digital marketing class where we all had to write a blog and, uh, my professor was really good about working with me with that. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, through WordPress. I needed to mm-hmm. update it. Uh, but WordPress is overall pretty accessible and you really, I mean, a blog, it's mostly text, you know, I mean, some people do put pictures and images on it, but you don't have to in order for it to do well, and I I got quite a lot of people reading my entries, uh, so that was a good experience. I think, honestly, uh, you know, my marketing classes were pretty not extremely visual. They involved you know mm-hmm. it was a lot of class discussion, a lot of reading. I took consumer behavior mm-hmm. and market research, and a lot of really interesting stuff. I think the hardest classes were. Uh, you know, economics, accounting, uh, financial management. Uh, so for those classes, my professors, they were really good, honestly. They worked with me. Um, I used the disability services office. They would allow me to, they would hire readers, uh, mm-hmm. who were, it was usually a, a student who had taken the class before. And, uh, so they would oftentimes, they would explain things that I didn't quite understand in class. Uh, and during while when I would take tests, for example, uh, financial management, uh, an example I'll say was creating a statement of cash flows. Um, I mean, you can do it in Excel, but there's kind of a lot of numbers that have to go in different places. And if I were doing it every day, I would probably – have taken the time to learn to do it on my own. Um, but basically what, how we, uh, did it was I had, I had all the information, uh, and he would, you know, read me the statement, the balance sheet, you know, what was being, uh, you know, the assets and the liabilities and 
basically in the statement of cash flows, for those who don't know, there's uh, kind of three, it has three different sections, uh, operating, investing, and financing. So I would basically uh, just tell the reader which things went into operating, which things went into investing, which, uh, or which transactions, if you will, and which went into financing, and then, and whether or not to add or subtract, because uh, that's basically what you need to know. And there's, you know, without getting too technical, there's, yeah, there's uh, different rules for how that works. So that's kind of how we worked around that. Uh, so there are some things that I did, you know, completely independently. And then, you know, for like, I'm not going to be an accountant per se. I, you know, I needed to take accounting to, uh, to graduate and to have a basic knowledge of accounting as a business person. It, it was, it's important to, you know, know the terminology, but it's not something that I was going to be doing on a daily basis. So I didn't really take the time to learn QuickBooks or anything like that. Not saying that it couldn't have, but I found that with college, sometimes you kind of have to figure out what's important, how you're going to get the most out of it, and what's worth spending your time on, and uh, and and what isn't per se. Precisely, it's a really it's a really outstanding response. Really, really well done for you. Um, and I'm really glad that it sounds like you really had an overall good experience there. I did, um, yes. I got involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, one thing that I did was it's called the Collaboratory, and it's a, a lot of engineering majors do it. Well, they have to do it, and it's um, and it, they do anything from you know building bridges in Panama to uh, the project that I was on was 3D mapping of campus, uh, hmm. not only for disability and accessibility uh, purposes, uh, but also just, you know, it's cool to have a 3D map. And so I yeah. work with engineers and uh, and kind of eventually it's probably going to be going to have quite a few copies of it and it'll be used by admissions so that, you know, mm -hmm. when people visit the campus for the first time, you know, they can see uh, a product of what what students have been doing. Uh, so that was something that I uh, worked on, and I was on the decision-making board, uh, the student decision-making board um, of that organization. And so it's basically uh, different projects. Uh, all the engineers have to do it in order to graduate, uh, but then other majors get involved with it too. So that's kind of why it's called the collaboratory, because people bring their expertise together to collaborate um so you know they have they even have a business and economic development team and so they work anything from you know going to other nations and doing different projects to locally on campus to uh there's a they did a also did some science camps uh for elementary school students uh, that was one of the projects in the area and that had a lot of education majors in it. So uh, that was really cool to be involved in. I hmm. also was in the public relations and marketing clubs. Um, I was a 
student ambassador, so I gave uh, campus tours to prospective students uh, with the admissions department. That's really fascinating. Did you ever, um, in your tour groups, did you ever have anyone with a disability? Uh, I do not believe that I did. Because that would have been a really interesting tour and a really rewarding tour for someone who's blind or deaf or any disability, really, to see that there's already a successful person at the university who's blind. That would have been really cool. Yeah. And I also did an uh, off-campus study in Mm -hmm. Nashville for a whole semester. I did that fall. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I noticed that. So that sounds that sounded like a lot of fun. I saw that on Facebook. It looked really interesting. So what, yeah, what can you really tell was. us about Nashville? Uh, it was called the Contemporary Music Center, and it was basically anyone who uh, was in- interested in the music industry uh, could do it. So there's kind of three different tracks. Uh, so there were it was uh, about 30 college students from uh, different. Christian colleges from across the country. So there were, in my semester, there were three others from Messiah, and there, there were some from Florida, there were some from Minnesota, uh, one from the King's College in New York City, so all over. And you spend it's a whole semester in Nashville, and um, some people are artists, so they, uh, you know, write their own songs, and then there's and, you know, perform, focus on writing and performing their own songs. Then there's the tech crew, which does all the recording, the mixing. Uh, every week we would have a show. Uh, so, you know, setting up the sound and the lighting, uh, the, the audiovisual, uh, the, uh, all that stuff. Uh, you know, the, the monitors. Uh, basically, how to they what they focused on was conducting a show, um, you know, setting it up, all the technology, cabling, everything. And then uh, I was on the business side, so I was focused on the business side of the show, so the public relations and uh, the budgeting and that kind of thing, and you know, the email blasts, the press release. And at the end of the program, our final final exam, if you will, was uh, planning a tour. So it was uh, like three days, or no, uh, four days actually, and two different colleges where we would, uh, you know, it was full on, almost as close to a real concert tour as possible. You know, the tour bus, uh, trucks full of equipment, and going, you know, being on the road, going to different colleges and setting up stage and performing uh, for, like, basically four days in a row. So I was on the business side of all the budgeting, and I I was one of the people basically running the budget for the tour. Um, and Amazing. The logistics, uh, you know, the working with the travel agent to book the hotel and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's that was um, mainly what I, what I did. Great. And I Great. found that, um, you know, when you're 
doing something of that nature, um, I had to learn to be very amicable and be able to get along in a lot of different environments because, you know, you're going to these schools, colleges that you're completely unfamiliar with. Um, Granted, I wasn't on, I wasn't, uh, you know, on stage uh, per se, but uh, I was, you, you know, you have a lot of equipment moving around. You got drums and monitors and computers and soundboards and, you know, all those things, um, a lot of equipment moving around. So um, just being in that environment, but it's it's kind of like organized chaos, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, of course. Makes sense. Yeah, organized so, is chaos. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit uh, tough for me to do a lot. Of, I mean, I would – it all had to be done very quickly was the thing. So kind of how they included me in that was um, oftentimes I would operate the ladder – like operate the lift on the trucks, uh, so they would, you know, come by with their trust or, you know, the equipment, and I would, you know, basically communicate with them, and I, and as to, you know, when to move the ramp up, you know, when to move it down, et cetera, because couldn't necessarily, it was a, a little tough for me to be involved in directly, uh, you know, packing things up and unpacking them because. Uh, you know, it all kind of had to, for one thing, you're in an unfamiliar environment. You got to pack and unpack extremely quickly. And, uh, you know, you don't always know, uh, where everything's supposed to go and, and it could always change. Uh, so that's, so, but I learned how to just like understand what was going on and, I learned I learned a lot just from from working with the people who I was working with and from that that whole experience of the tour and of you know doing a whole semester in Nashville you know the first day you're moving into an apartment with you know three guys who you don't know who you don't really know well I knew one of them but I didn't he was from Messiah but the other two were from Florida and you know had some we're from slightly different backgrounds uh, than I was. So, you know, you're learning to, you're being independent. It's, it's almost like, I almost personally think that people in college should spend a semester off campus or, you know, live in an apartment for a semester uh, if they, at least if they can, so that when they're out of college, they have those independent skills, um, not just blind people in college, but just no, uh, no, you're very anybody right. Anybody in college, you know, I think it's it's just good to have that experience because when you're on campus, you know, you don't oftentimes have to worry about cooking your own food um, and that kind of thing and budgeting, you know, and all that. But when you're living in that type of environment, you know, you you have a little bit more responsibility per se and you know you got to live with pe- people who you don't know and you know, learn to 
get along with each other uh, for this semester and some, yeah. and somewhat well, close quarters, you know. And somewhat. that's just good experience an apartment, in general. An apartment's pretty close. It, it can't be too much further than close quarters or else you'd be in two different apartments. <laughs> it has to be close quarters. Yeah, or else it wouldn't be an apartment. Yeah. Um, well, did, did you have any... Uh, you know, did anybody throughout this whole semester, I'm sure at one point something happened. Did did anybody, you know, have, have a meltdown, you know, throw a chair out the window, you know, spill something all over the floor and then someone else slipped in it? Or was there any big, you know, was there any big like I'm sure there was at least one big meltdown, like just one time the whole the whole time you were down there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of instances, but you learn how to deal with it and, you know, and move on from it. Like, I mean, like what? I mean, can can you give our listeners uh, maybe a funny one or something kind of silly that happened? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, we had a, one or two students who uh, they had a knack for showing up late. Uh, and in the music industry, that's pretty bad. Um, yeah, in my, in my industry. Kind of the motto is on time is late. Early yeah. is on time and on time is late and late is fired. Uh, yeah, that's that's my attitude towards that, too. And I'm I'm overly sensitive about that myself. So but, you know, some people just don't get that. So. So, so yeah, what happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one time on the tour, uh, one of the guys forgot his base uh, from the, <laughs> his hotel room. So we were about to leave and he had to like run in and get it. And people were kind of, you know, we were kind of perturbed, you know. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating when people can be forgetful like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What What was the funniest thing that happened when you were living in Nashville uh, working on this program? The funniest. I'm trying to. Um, I don't know. I mean. You got, you know, we all became pretty close with each other because we were working with each other every day, essentially. Um, our professors uh, with the program kind of had, uh, you know, funny ways of uh, saying things sometimes. Um, you know, the tech professor, his main phrase was, Killer, like when it was really good, you know, when something was done done well. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's they, normal. Yeah, a lot of people I know. Industry that... kind of has its own sort of language. Um, yeah, we watch. We would watch movies uh, on Sunday nights that were usually related to the music industry or related to what we were doing. And like one of the we watched Spinal Tap, uh, which is. The music industry is kind of based on Spinal Tap. A lot of, like um, turn it up to eleven is a common phrase that you hear. And that's where that comes from. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and, um, you know, and I've never you would hear things don't... like, uh, "Okay, can we get some love out of this board? Like out of this soundboard? Like you know, when we wanted it to do what we needed it to do, you know, that kind of thing." And there's a lot of fine tuning that happens because every singer sounds different. Every um, 
you know, every song kind of has, you know, different technical settings that are that are best for it. So just like learning about all that process was I never knew that they were so much involved until until you I did, it. did the program. It was cool, really cool. cool to experience so, all that. That's really that sounded really interesting. It sounded really, really good. Um, sounds really good for anyone, blind or not. Sounds like a a lot of it, it, only if you're fascinated by the music industry and you really want to work in that field, uh, or else actually, if you don't want to work in the music field, you do that program. That sounds like a punishment. That sounds horrible. If you don't want to work, in, <laughs> that sounds like a god awful thing. If you don't want to work in that field, but if you want to work there, that sounds like heaven. That sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So. With those singers that you're, you were working with who were performing, basically, obviously, to get recognition and get onto a label. Um, so which one of those singers did get? So did any of them, you know, land a major deal, land a major record deal? Yeah, well, uh, the goal wasn't really for them to get a label. Like, they were all college students. Um, although one of them actually did uh, release a record, um, an EP. Uh, so, like, a five song uh record um and you know there's they make oftentimes you know they'll come back to Nashville after graduating from college and you know make more connections and uh continue making music some don't always it just depends a lot of the tech people uh some of the tech people moved back down to Nashville and got jobs down there uh, in the tech side of the industry so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, a lot of them, the artists, everybody's kind of at different levels, right? So, yeah, uh, but yeah, so one of them did end up releasing an EP, and so it was pretty cool to see that form, and to, I, you know, uh, you know, some of the recording of it, and, the, you know, seeing the text operate the, operate all the equipment and you know do and you know setting up the tracks and seeing all that come together was for it was really neat cool cool interesting yeah um so you know so what is the i mean did, did they i mean i i suppose with your side of it they didn't talk directly to you about it a whole lot but obviously you overheard conversations throughout the time you were there i mean really some of our listeners might want to know i don't know what is the music industry or the music world really looking for today when they actually consider talent what what basically what constitutes what constitutes as good to, uh, to you know to, to today what do you think yeah, um, I think it's a lot of different things. So a lot of times what they talked about a lot was music programs that colleges have are really much, are very much focused on more the traditional and the classical uh, side of things, whereas Nashville, it's all, you know, either going, you know, focused on getting the music, uh, you know, out on Spotify or to the radio, so it's a very different kind of vibe. You know, uh, people who study music in college, which a lot of the people um, in the program 
were music majors in college, but then, you know, they send them to the, the this program so that they learn more about uh, the contemporary uh, field because, you know, when you study music in college, uh, it's very much focused on, you know, practice, 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 and, um, you know, you have to get every note exactly right, uh, more, you know, per se, and it's, you know, playing classical pieces and singing, you know, songs and other languages, you know, singing stuff from the Renaissance period, whereas yeah, yeah. Nashville, it's writing song. You, you know, you write a song, basically the artists, the students who were artists basically had a week to, they had basically a couple of days to, but within the time of a week, they had to have a song written, the lyrics, the the melody, everything. They had to have a demo recorded, sometimes a couple of demos recorded, and then have it practiced so that it could be performed on Thursday night. So they basically had from uh, basically from Saturday to well Wednesday night, what Wednesday afternoon was uh hammer time so basically they would it was getting it you know practicing it for the show essentially mm-hmm. uh so basically they had only within the course of friday was kind of like was game tape so they would talk about the show and you know what went well what didn't go well and focus on things to uh Im- improve on uh for the next show and so I mean, they didn't really have, you don't really have, that's not really a lot of time if you think about it to have a song written, have it recorded and then, uh, or at least, you know, have a demo recorded and then have your tracks ready. I mean, there, there's a lot that happens within that week or five or six days, more, more or less in, in practicality. Yeah. So. Actually, probably more like four days. Friday's game tape, so most of them probably you know started writing their song. Say Saturday, then come Wednesday, you gotta have you know you, you gotta be almost ready to perform it. Or so it's a lot different because then say studying music in college, you're you know you have your pieces that you have to learn for the semester. And, you know, you're getting ready for the one final recital. Whereas, uh, Nashville and the contemporary world, you're playing multiple shows. Uh, you know, you're going on tour, you're playing shows every day. So if you, sometimes you kind of have to think, you have to think on your feet a lot more. Like if you're a musician, uh, and you gotta be, able to sometimes oftentimes you got to be able to just kind of play a song right off the bat even if you don't necessarily know it in full I mean because that's just kind of the reality of it and sometimes you just if you don't know I mean you got to be able to kind of make up things as you go at least enough to 
impress the audience, right? And you're you're trying to impress an audience who is paying money to attend the show. Um, you know, there's the money factor as well. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even we learned about in the business track, uh, if you're really, I mean, we didn't deal with this a lot, but there's all kinds of legal stuff that's involved with... Um, tons tons of it. Oh, yeah. Ton, there's, uh, tons, you, you know, with tons uh, of it. And, and, you know... Money and it, where it goes and how it... Uh,
To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions. Like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.